Alright, so good morning. It's good to see everyone. I'm glad that you're here. If you're tuning in online, I'm glad uh, you're with us. I know we've got a few families who are out and they're watching, and so good morning. Welcome. Um, before we jump in, uh, this, is, this book is, I was supposed to get a box of these this week, and I realized that no one was around because it was in the middle of the day and we were gone. Uh, to del- to get the delivery. So they're actually at the post office. I'll pick them up this week. But if you're interested in reading this book, we're going to spend the next four weeks uh, after today in kind of dissecting what this book is all about. And, and we've talked about it over the past few months, uh, bits and pieces of it. And really it has to do with this idea of uh, the word oikos. And for some of us, we immediately think of the Greek yogurt that we can pick up at Walmart, but that's not what this book is about. It's about where, where that word comes from in the Greek, meaning household. And we're going to spend the next month or so diving into really how do we do life intentionally with one another? How do we do life with those that God has placed in our lives uh, that, that really only we can interact with? And so the book is great. It's a really easy read. Um, I'd, if you took longer than two days, I'd be surprised. It, it flies through it really quickly. Uh, but we will have more of these. If you want this one, come find me. It's the last one I have today, but we'll get more this week. Okay, that being said, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if, you have your, if you use your Bible on your phone, go ahead and pull up your phone app, your Bible app. Psalm 16 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. And I want to start by sharing a quote. And I want to ask that we just take a second, kind of clear our minds of all the craziness after you, you turn to Psalm 16. Take a deep breath. And then I want you to listen to what this quote is saying. If a church isn't spiritually vital, it shouldn't grow. I'll say it one more time. If a church isn't spiritually vital, it shouldn't grow. I actually had to go look up the definition of vital because I first had, the first time I didn't really understand it because I was thinking something else like necessary as a definition of vital. But it, the other definition of vital means full of life full of energy. And so if we look at that quote one more time, if a church isn't spiritually full of energy, vital, it shouldn't grow. That was a quote from this past weekend by Paul Anderson, who is a professor of biblical and Quaker studies at uh, George Fox University, who was the speaker for IYM sessions this week. And it was something that stuck out to me, stood out to me. And I don't know how you received that just a second ago. What feelings are coming to your heart? Where is your mind running when you hear that phrase? Are you in agreement with it? Like, yeah, that's pretty true. Or is there a tension inside of you that I've just stirred up by saying that? Do you feel like that describes this place here? Our church body. Because it made me think about the state of the church today, especially in North America and in 
the United States. Research and studies will show that the numbers of churches in this country are on the decline and have been for a number of years. So if we look at that quote within that context, if a church isn't spiritually vital, it shouldn't grow, and we apply it to our reality of closing churches in our country, we find ourselves at a revealing truth. Which is that the church here in the United States is currently and most likely has not been spiritually full of life. And now maybe you're thinking, man, that's, that's, that's a bit extreme. Or even harsh. Like you can't judge everyone, every single church in the country by that context. You're right. But God also speaks to this. If you go to the book of Revelation, he makes a very clear promise what happens to churches that are not spiritually healthy. He says he closes them down. He shuts their doors. And now, I've only been here, um, today actually marks the beginning of the seventh month. We've only been here six months. And to answer that question, do, do I think that this place is described by that phrase, by that quote, no. Take away our response to COVID and all that came with that and, and shutting down and going online and canceling events. What I see, what's been described to Amy and I over the past six months is a church who has stuck in there through the thick of it. A church who loves deeply this community and a church who's committed to finding new ways to reach people for Jesus. But I do think, I do think if we, we need to take that quote, put it in the back of our heads as a reminder and as a warning of what God's calling us to do together, individually. We're going to talk about that individually over the next month. but it should serve as a warning so that we hold this tension that we are to be a church called by God to be intentional in this city of Westfield, in this region of the country, in our country as a whole, and to the ends of the world. This year's theme at uh, yearly meeting sessions was, is found in Psalm 16, which is why we're going to be in it. And it comes from the verse, verse 6. Um, where it talks about a beautiful inheritance. And I think the reason we've, we've lost track as a church in North America of where we are spiritually is because we've forgotten what that actually means, a beautiful inheritance. We've lost our identity in Christ, and, and some of us, some of our churches in this country, it's not that we've lost identity, but we've chosen to forego it altogether. We have said for the sake of reaching people, we're going to move away from what the gospel actually says. And I believe God's dealing with some of those churches in his own way by closing them. In Psalm 16, we're reminded 
and this is the big idea for the morning, that we must trust God, treasure God, and stand tall in God if we are to live out our lives for God. So again, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there if you haven't already done so. The rest of this morning we're going to spend together in Psalm 16, looking at what David writes about who God is, what he's done for us, and what that means. And my hope is that we might be reminded and encouraged by God's word for what we're called to today. Amen? So let's jump in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start from the very beginning of, of verse 1, and we'll just kind of work our way through it like we do. It says this, Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. And we're going to stop right there for now. Because it brings us to our first point. It brings us to this first idea or concept that David has experienced full well through his life knowing God. It's that trusting God is foundational if we are to view life with a healthy perspective. And so here's a little bit of context of what's going on as David's writing this. Or the psalm, psalmist is writing this. Most scholars say this one is David. Um, in, ver- in chapter 14, he goes the whole chapter talking about the folly of man. Man's foolishness. In, in, because we're caught up in our sin. And, and our sin, apart from God, drives us to, do, to live life in the wrong ways. And he says really that human folly does not change apart from the inner working of God in man's heart. This same theme is repeated in Psalm 53. In chapter 15, he talks about the faithfulness, the idea of faithfulness, thoughts on faithfulness. He outlines for us what what those characteristics are of a faithful person. And then he reminds us of God's faithfulness being unshakable and inseparable from his people. And then if you jump ahead a chapter in six in 17, he really he dives into a prayer of what we're going to spend our time in this morning in chapter 16. If you've studied any about David, David was someone who was deeply and intimately in relationship with God. The Bible talks about his relationship being different than most people's in all of Scripture. And one of the things that David does with his life, uh, as you look at the bigger scheme of picture, the bigger message of the Bible, is that it foreshadows the coming of Jesus as Messiah. And David knew about this Messiah promise, having studied the scriptures growing up, having spent time with God in community with him. He knew of this promise of a Messiah, someone who would come and make things right, would rescue his people. And he also also held on to that promise. Because he knew of all the implications that came with the fulfillment of this Messiah. He understood the safety component that came with the Messiah. The provision that the Messiah was going to bring. The direction that his people would then have. 
and the blessing that they would get to enjoy for all of eternity through the Messiah. Some scholars um, go as far with chapter 16 to say that uh, after verse 1, really it's David the prophet speaking as the Messiah and, the, and that the rest of chapter 16 is a uh, form of thankfulness for what God has done through the Messiah. And it's really interesting if you look at the chapter in those lenses because it does connect and there's historical basis for that. The early church would have connected that and said that's exactly what David was doing here. And so when, he's, when we dive into verses, really the rest of the chapter after verse 1, it, it's all of these promises about Jesus. So trusting in God means that we have constant communication with him. David knew that and practiced that every day. David would ask for God to help him, not only in direction, but in trusting. Trusting for safety, for health, for his family, for how he was to lead. And what we see in verse 1 is David doing that. Is David asking, God, I know you've shown up before. Please, I need you right now. Protect me. And then he, he says that he's, he takes refuge in him. And, and taking refuge in something really means that we're safe and sheltered from the pursuit of danger or trouble. And so David is offering himself, saying, I surrender everything that I have, everything that I am to you, God, because only you can bring me that comfort, that shelter. It's only found in you. Sometimes we can see those things. We can, we can identify those things in our life that are bringing harm and danger, and, and we can run to God specifically saying, hey, I need protection here. Sometimes there's spiritual things going on inside of us or around us that we can't see. And I'm sure David felt that. The pressures of being a king and a leader spiritually for his people. He felt those threats, those dangers that were around him. And here he is, running to God, saying, I, I need you to be the place where I can be sheltered and be, be safe. And why? Because when we trust, uh, trust brings relief, and when we are able to take a breath because we're safe, even for a second, it brings hope. It brings hope. So we can't hope for things well without to some degree, experiencing a moment or moments of truth and relief. And so that's where David sits. That's where he runs to is this refuge in God, knowing that if I'm just here even for a second, I can be reminded of that hope. Regardless of whatever's going on around me, I can remember that God is faithful. And God, David knows that God is with him, right? You can, one of the first stories we hear of David is defeating Goliath. 
which as a kid, I'm sure you got this nine foot tall giant. That was scary, but God shows up and it, it sets a tone for the, the ministry of David and the rest of David's life of how God would move. So he sits in that promise that God can be a refuge, that he can be a safe place, that he can be a shelter for all the things that are going on around us that bring us danger or harm. And how do we, how do, we do that? Well, we spend time in the Word. We spend time in community with one another. The more that we get to know Jesus, the more we grow our ability to trust Him. That's where David was. He knew who God was and he was able to trust them in a way that most people probably thought he was crazy. But he was reminded time and time again, he, he remembered the promise of a Messiah that was coming. And just like David, we can ask God for help in trusting Him. Asking God to lead in trusting Him brings clarity to times of doubt or seasons of doubt. Because when you become a believer, when you trust Jesus and say, I'm going to live for you, it, all the doubts in the world don't go away. Oftentimes, you're going to have seasons where that hole goes real deep and you find yourself in a deep, dark place of doubting. It's okay. It's normal. But you've got to hold on to the promise like David does, even in his seasons of doubt, where he can come back and remember that, no, God is with me. He, not only is he with me, he's a place that I can go and I'm going to find refuge, I'm going to find shelter and relief, and it's going to lead to the hope, the little glimmer of light that shines through the darkness that I can grab onto. Trusting God is foundational if we are to live life with a healthy perspective. Let's pick up in verse 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink, offering of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing, and you hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and indeed I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me with, uh, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I will always let the Lord guide me because He is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. So we have to learn to trust God. We then have to learn how to treasure God. Treasuring God allows for the building up of a healthy perspective. So once we begin to understand or acknowledge or see what that looks like, that healthy perspective for life, we have to keep adding to it. 
We have to keep pouring into that cup because if not, we're going to go and go and go. And before we know it, that cup is empty. And we've not put anything in. We've not spent time investing in that or building that up. And so by the time we get to a place where we can treasure God, we're so incredibly exhausted. Because we haven't built that up. I did think about wearing like an eye patch and a pirate's hat for this point, but I thought I won't do that. Um, a treasure is a quantity, this is the definition of it, a quantity of precious metals or gems or other valuable objects. And for many of us, it's not that we have, uh, maybe you do have valuable metals or gems that sit somewhere that are safe, that are a treasure. But for most of us, when we think about what our treasures are in our life, what are those things that we value? It's family. It's friends. It's wealth. Those are not bad things. Even, even the money one, it's the wealth part. It's, it's not a bad thing. The Bible never says that money is bad. It says the, the love for money is what causes issue. But we have to remember that we have to view those things with a healthy perspective. And so it leads us to a couple of questions. One, how do we hold those treasures? One of, the, one of the key things in this book is a reminder of keeping the main thing, which is Jesus, which is this beautiful inheritance that you and I get to be a part of, keeping the main thing the main thing. All the other things are secondary if Jesus is first. So how do we hold those treasures? Have they become the main thing or are we holding them correctly? How do we prioritize the treasures that God has given us? And why is this even important? Well, because treasuring God correctly in the right way brings clarity to the rest of it. It brings clarity to how do we hold those things that God has entrusted us with or, or gifted us in family, in friends, in work, or in money, in, in whatever treasure is close to you. Because if we look at verses 2 and 3, they point out that a, a treasure that God gives in Jesus is both a, both a blessing to us and to the Father. So in, for you and I, as we hold our treasures, are they blessings for others? And are they blessing the Father? Because treasures, you normally and should be beyond worth, right? Jesus was God's son, the, the, probably one of the most important things, and, and he gives him freely for us so that we could be redeemed. Beyond worth. Treasures should be protected. And this last point about this, this section, treasures should be shared with others, but often they aren't. Often they, they aren't. Because we want to make sure they're safe, and that's the only way we know how, is that no one else comes in and takes or gets to use them or benefit from them. And so we... We build up these walls so that they're protected, but that's not really what we're called to do with our treasures. 
in verses four and five, we see that the treasure that God offers is more than enough. It's more than enough. He compares the pagan rituals and traditions and pagan gods and what was going on around him culturally to say, I'm never going to step into those things because I know they're not going to fulfill me. The world offers us treasures, but they leave us empty. And for some of us in this room, that's, that's a part of our story. That we were in those places doing those things and God rescued us from that. And if we look back at what that was, you can deeply and truly say, none of that really did it. And look at, look at the world around us. We've got drugs, alcohol, sex, power, money, all of these things that are offered and, and, and framed as good. Some of them are, some of them aren't. But if we make those things the main thing, guess what? They leave you empty. There's a whole book in Scripture about it where Solomon, David's son, Scripture calls him the wisest person to have ever lived, wealthiest person to have ever lived. If you go look at, at how much money he had, and it takes research to figure it out, but it's out there, how much money he had compared to today what, with inflation and all those things, what that, he would have been a billionaire beyond that. He was so incredibly wealthy, so he had the money, he had the power, he had the influence. Anything at his fingertips he, ha- he, he had and could get, and, and he tries. And at the end of his life, at the end of it all, he says it wasn't worth it. Because nothing could fill me the way God did. Nothing made me whole the way God makes me whole. David, because he knows God and his treasures, knows that God is enough. Read through David's life. I mean, while he is a, a guy named or characterized as a man after God's own heart, he was by no means perfect. David has dark, dark seasons of his life. And I, th- I really enjoy David's story because it's a reminder and it brings, uh, it brings comfort to me that, as a reminder that I, I'm going to mess up. You are going to mess up. Parents of young kids, your kids will mess up. Parents of old kids, your kids will mess up. We will mess up, but it's a reminder of why we need this treasure of Jesus. Of why that inheritance is so beautiful. But in these verses, in 4 and 5, I think it also, we we have to look at that and say, are we committed in that same way? As followers of Jesus, are we looking at all the things that the world has to offer and and committing to Jesus and saying, I'm not going to do those things? I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to give in to those pressures. 
societal pressures, cultural pressures. Some of those practices and culturally and societal practices have seeped into the church and, and are part of the reason the church is in the state that it's in. But David's reminding us that, hey, we, we, can't, we can't compromise on the message. In verses 6, and, uh, six 7, and 8, he reminds us that the, the offering is beneficial both for, for us and for others. This whole chapter really surrounds itself around verse 6. When it talks about our beautiful inheritance. David is removed from Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years, but he is pointing to him. Because he knew about the message of the Messiah, and that Messiah is Jesus. And he's saying, in this gift that we get from God, as a part of his family, we can find hope. We can trust that it's good. This beautiful inheritance that he's talking about, that he writes about, it's Christ and the atoning work on the cross. And not only that, but what comes with that, the grace and mercy that you and I get to receive every day from God. The fact that you and I are made right in the eyes of God through Christ. Which is the doctrine of justification. That you and I, that the Holy Spirit is moving and shaping us every day to be more and more like Jesus. And that's our sanctification process working itself out until Jesus comes back. But can we even see those things? Can we see the beautifulness that is, that is the gift of Jesus? Not if we don't know how to treasure God correctly. If we're taking that treasure for granted and it's just kind of on a back burner, we're never going to fully understand. Even when we do commit in our living life for Him, we will not fully understand this. Because this is a process by, that's set up by an infinite God and we are finite beings and there's only so much that we can get. The Bible talks about that as the mysteries of God. There are things that we will not understand because we are not the creator. We are creation. But do we trust God? Do we trust that he is overall? Do we know that and live that out as a treasure that he's given, given us in Christ, that he's in control even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it, it, it may all be going wrong and all crashing down around us, we're losing things, we have to deal with grief, He is still in control. Can we even identify those treasures in our life? The fact that you're here listening to me this morning, God gave you another day of life. That's a treasure in itself. Your friends, your family, your job, food, shelter, the list can go on and on and on. Do we see those things as, as gifts of God? 
So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, we have to hold the fact that it is a beautiful gift and an inheritance that you and I, as a part of the family of God, get to receive. And we move forward, taking full advantage of that, of that gift. We live joyfully. We live purposefully. We live worshiping freely and gratefully. Those are starting points. We just celebrated, as a yearly meeting, 200 years of God moving. Moving throughout the the yearly meeting. There's a a historical document or book, scrapbook that was put together by Greg Henshaw, the clerk of the yearly meeting. That's out front. We, our church, bought a copy of that um, to to have as a record. It, it was it was inspiring to sit in that room during the bicentennial's uh, programming and realize how God had been moving and is moving throughout the churches in this yearly meeting. And we have to remember that. But I promise if we don't move forward building on that foundation of the past 200 years, it's all for nothing. All the work that has gone in in this building, in this place, it's all for nothing if we don't move forward trusting and treasuring God. Let's pick up in verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful ones to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. And in your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. David's reminding us that we, as believers, as as members of, of God's family, we stand tall, knowing confidently that we are not alone and that God fills us with joy. We stand tall and confidently knowing that we are wholly and deeply impacted by this promise of this beautiful inheritance. By Jesus. Verse 9 is very clear about that. It's, it's a whole mind, body, soul experience that's going on. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My body securely rests. Right? We spent the beginning of the summer talking about what rest means from a, a, a biblical perspective. The presence of God is real in a very tangible way, unexplainable at times, but tangible nonetheless. We stand tall knowing that we have relationship with God, the creator of the universe, 
who sets all things in motion. He knows us by our name, intimately, deeply. He knew us from, from beginning, even before we were in our mother's wombs, He knew us. And He promises to guide us and protect us. And if you remember back on, on Palm Sunday, we talked about listening to His voice, the whispers of His voice. The way Mary did when she was in front of his tomb and Jesus is behind her and she doesn't even have to turn around and look. She knew the sound of Jesus' voice. So when he whispers Mary, she knows it's Jesus. We need to know him in that same way. We need to know the whispers of his voice so that they lead and protect us. You want to hear from God, start with reading your Bible. God can absolutely speak to you in an audible way, in a visual way. He did it in Scripture with Paul. He is God, the Creator. He could do whatever He wants, and He might show up for one of us in that way at some point in our lives. But in a general sense, you want to hear God's voice, voice read, your, read your Bible. Because here's what happens when you start doing that. I promise you. You start reading through this book of the history of how God's moved and the promises of who God is and who His people are. His voice, those whispers, they're going to start stirring your heart. They're going to start stirring your heart in a way that, that you can't sit still. In a way that makes you get up and go to the ends of the world. To tell people about who he is. So he stirs this, this thing in our hearts that makes us go. And then we come to places like this or our small group or other groups of believers and we say, hey, this is what God's doing. Do you think I'm on or like, what, did I eat a bad burrito? And that's like, that's what's going on. And God moves in that community and that body and, and people like, yeah, I, I think you're right. They affirm those things, those, those feelings, those thoughts that God has stirred in your heart. And, and Scripture tells us to do this. And, and so people who love and trust God come around you and say, yeah, I think you're spot on. And then we stand firm and we go and do the things that God is calling us to do in the places where He is sending us with the people that are around us in ways that only you and I can do because God has called us specifically to those things. Again, another theme of this book. God has sent you to the people in your life with a purpose and a mission. So we're in relationship with God. We're in relationship with His people. His people, His church, His bride... She is a system by which God moves and works. It's true from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve to the end of the book in Revelations. It's, it's God's church that is a part of that story of bringing the kingdom 
because of what Jesus has done to the people that don't know him. And so maybe you're sitting here saying, I, I, don't, I don't feel God, I don't feel the Holy Spirit, I don't see God, I don't see the Holy Spirit moving in my life. Here's one question, and it might be hard. Are you in community? But real, true, vulnerable community with people who love and trust God. Because the community of God is, is there for us to, to walk with others, for others to walk with us, to worship alongside others like we're doing this morning, to sit in sorrows with others and, and just hold those, those hard things with one another. To celebrate the things that deserve celebrating. We're going to do that here in a second. But are you in community to, to experience those things? Discipleship and community for Amy and I is so incredibly powerful because it's, it's the way that God grabbed us individually growing up. It's the way that He shaped us for a love for His people and a desire to see Him move in, in people's lives. It's through those communities that we heard our call into ministry, both individually as single people and then together as a family. But are you in community to experience that? And then we stand tall with full confidence of who God is because of Scripture, because of what this book says. It tells us who He is, how He loves, what He's done for us. And it doesn't stop there, but it tells us how to live. David, in verse 11, is reminding us that He gives, he gives this joy that flows abundantly. But if we've not first trusted in God if we're not treasuring God, we can't experience that. Not consistently, not through the ups and downs. We might see glimpses of it because God is good and He gives gifts even if we don't deserve them. But you want to feel that consistently? You want to be able to stand tall no matter what's in front of you? Some scholars attribute this, um, this chapter is, is really kind of a, Debbie Downer kind of chapter because David is reflecting on his life and knows that death is coming. And he's like in this morbid state of thinking about dying. But he stands confidently knowing who God is and, and what the promise is to come through death. And none of us want to think about dying. You want to grow old and, and experience all the joys of life with family and friends and grandkids and great-grandkids, and those are all good things. But it's not the ultimate thing. One day, you and I will stand before Jesus as He welcomes us into heaven. If you're believers, that will be the thing. That will be the day that we fully experience what God is talking about. But He doesn't leave us here on earth to just wallow in that like 
it may be, no, he, he tells us that we can stand confidently trusting, treasuring who he is because of what Jesus has done for us. Stand tall knowing that we are not alone and that we're filled with joy. Trusting God, treasuring God, and standing tall in God allows us to see the beautiful inheritance that is Jesus. Not only can we see it, but it allows us to live in a way where we can take full advantage of that inheritance. We're able to live in a way that sets us apart. We're able to deal with what life throws at us, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, and we deal with those things in a different way. David was a man who, God, who knew God very differently than maybe most of us do. And if you remember Samuel the prophet, he's speaking on behalf of God. He calls David a man after his own heart. So as we look at the words of David in, in Psalm 16, you've got to realize it's from a place of deep and real knowledge of who God is and experiencing God. And it shaped him. Didn't make him perfect. He still messes up. But it shapes him. It brings a, a lens to life that he looks through and remembers who God is. Knowing God in a, in a real way like this allows him to have a perspective on what's to, what's to be of his life. Even when he's in those dark seasons of, full, of outright sin against God or seasons of doubt, wrestling with, God, where are you? What are you doing? He eventually is able to, to come back to this place of knowing who God is. And those were hard times. Like, I don't want to make it seem like this fairy tale thing that, some of the things that, that David experienced were hard things. They were realities of, of a broken world, of sin in the world. Others were consequences of his sin. But nonetheless, he knows God in a real way. And, and time and time again, he comes back to knowing and remembering who God is. Through Christ, you and I are offered that same promise of relationship with God like David had. We can experience Him in a way that changes us from the inside out. Trusting Him helps us to live out our spiritual calling in a bold way. Treasuring Him allows us to have a healthy perspective to remember what things are important. And we stand tall knowing that God is with us and doesn't leave us if we're in relationship with Him. This weekend, we, again, we celebrated 200 years of God's faithfulness in the yearly meeting in individual churches and as a collective. And I don't know about you, but as, as I sat there, I, I do not want to waste what God has so graciously blessed this yearly meeting and these churches with. 
Lord, I want to I continue to push forward to pioneer new ways and new places to reach people for Jesus. And like David, I want to take hold of that wonderful gift that is a beautiful inheritance of Jesus that we're afforded. And I want to go to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the ends of the world with it. And if Westfield Friends is to continue to move forward, we must continue to trust God, to treasure God, and to stand in Christ. And boldly go into those places where God has called us to. We're going to transition into a time of sharing. This is a time where we're going to sit for a few minutes and we're going to try to discern how God's been moving this week, through this service. This is a time of sharing of what God's doing in our lives. And so if you have a prayer request, if your world is falling apart and you just need people to be there with you, share it. And that's scary. I understand that. Even saying that, for some of us, we're like, we're anxious about it right now. But I promise that's what we're here for. That's what this body is for. And so let's just spend the next few minutes sitting, listening, discerning where God is. And this time doesn't end here uh, just because we're, we're moving on into the next part of the service. This is, this is something that we can be doing and should be doing throughout the week with one another. Sharing where God's moving, how he's leading. Because he is. I promise he is. Even if we can't feel it, even if we don't see it, he's still working. He's still moving. Because he's faithful to his people and he's promised that he will do that for all eternity. So let's pray um, as as we get ready to close out the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of being a part of your family. God, that you... Like Dane mentioned, you because we're a part of that family, you give us this gift for free. It's not anything that we can do that, that merits that. It's not, it, you willingly give it to us because you love us and you're a good father. So God, I pray that we would, we would be able to live in that remembering that you are good and that you're faithful. God, we surrender this time to you in sitting in your word for just a little bit. I pray that you would sear that onto our hearts as we leave this place this morning. We give thanks for who you are and what you've done through your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.